Women Rising. Once again, it's a pleasure to have Karenza Palau in the house today. Um, Karenza, apart from being a family friend, because she's besties with my daughter, because we're going to talk about why as well, because I think we need to mention the rowing. Big up the women rowers of Gibraltar. Um, Karenza's been through quite a few things in her life. She's very young. How old are you? I'm 25. She's super young. She's just got engaged, has a beautiful <laughs> engagement ring to a very lovely man called Jeremy. But um, Karenza has started her own business. She's been extremely brave uh, for many reasons. She, well, she decided to, to branch out on her own and give this a shot. She's doing something that nobody else in Gibraltar, as far as I know, is doing. But I think it's so important. Um, so, Karenza, welcome to Women Rising. <laughs> Thank you. Really lovely, really lovely to have you. We've, we've tried a long time to get you here. Yeah. <laughs> Finally made it. Um, tell me all about it. So you, you did a degree in what? So I started with a degree just in like street music. So that yeah. literally covered like everything. So covered history of music, theory, different genres of music, um, literally the whole, whole like spectrum. So it was spectrum like a very music. open degree. Exactly, exactly. Which is what I wanted because I still wasn't too sure what exactly I was going to go into. Apart from that, I wanted it to be centered around music. So yeah. I thought that would kind of cover every avenue um, and possibility for me by doing that degree to start with really. Um, it also included like business and music, which okay. I found was you, quite interesting. Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah, and that kind of to help you with yeah. your business. Exactly, exactly. What, what, where, where did you study? Um, in Manchester Met. It was okay. in yeah. Um, and I was like one of the last years to actually do that course before they like kind of ended it actually because no. um, they closed <laughs> the campus down. So <laughs> I was going to say, my gosh, maybe more people could do yeah. it, and maybe they do it somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so it was really good just because of like this like kind of variety of everything that it had in the of degree. Course. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then it was kind of from there that they in one of our modules asked like, OK, you know, you've got to create a business. And I was like, oh, well, what can I really do with a music degree? Was this part of your dissertation? Maybe? Yeah, exactly. It was all part of like one of the modules. And then I kind of found music therapy and I was like, oh, this is perfect. I love people helping music and it's like all wrapped into one and I had never even heard of music therapy because no, no, there's you no did one it. exactly in Gibraltar that was qualified so I never even heard of it so I started doing some volunteer um, kind of things with different charities in the UK because they had music therapists so I was kind of like shadowing um, and then that was like kind of what confirmed like this is this definitely is what I want to do. This is my calling. Yeah. <laughs> so then I applied for the master's um, and usually you've got to be over 25 years old to get accepted into these master's because they want someone with a level of like maturity that, you know, they feel normally it comes with age. Um, but I was fortunate and they really liked me and I was 21 and I got accepted into Fantastic. the Masters. To do a master's yeah. in, in the same place as in Manchester Met? No, that was in Edinburgh that um, I then got the master's. So that okay. was in Queen Margaret University. Um, and that was for Master of Science in Music Therapy. Which is one year? Two year full time course. Wow. Because, yeah, because you're required to do so many hours of placement, uh, so many hours of personal therapy, so many hours that 
they literally can't fit it in one year. So it has to be a two year full time course. So, so that you, was intense. <laughs> you, stayed, you stayed in the north of England from Manchester to Edinburgh. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Just from cold to colder. <laughs> yeah, cold to colder. That is the thing um, about living in England. I lived in England for 10 years and uh, that's really what got me in the end. You know, going to work, it's dark. You leave work, it's dark. Yeah. So you never see natural light, hardly. No. I, I, anyway. So yeah, um, you did that. You went to Edinburgh. Edinburgh a beautiful beautiful yeah, city I loved it you know, yeah rich in culture and Scotland is such, such a beautiful country anyway yeah definitely so you enjoyed that did yeah. you your, your two years in Edinburgh yeah and then as well I got sent like on placements like in Glasgow outer skirts of Glasgow so I feel like I really got a good broad experience of like Scotland and, and, and what's that like I mean you're a little girl from gym yeah. you know you're, you're a bit sheltered life because actually we yeah. all are here it's a very yeah. safe place and you kind of plunged into this world and then you go on placements with children because you're dealing with children with problems yeah. all the time so what's that like how, yeah. how can you how did you feel you could help them um at first like my first placement was with children with um disabilities and that was like you know like I kind of felt like a duck out of water mm. just because it was like so different to anything I'd ever experienced. Um, and challenging. I'm yeah, sure. exactly. And obviously being Scotland, that particular school had like one of the best, like I think it's the only school, um, special education school that has like a five star system kind of thing and has five stars. So it was like an insane like kind of program. Like it was something completely different, you know, to anything that you know most of Europe has even just because of the level of that school and you know the variety of even like you know disabilities and how like you know loads of different things that I learned not only like in therapy but then medically as well to help the children just be in the session and you know lots of training as well mm. and like and watching other people I suppose um you know yeah as well who are older than you maybe had more experience yeah. than you and that's how you learn yeah exactly so at first we had to shadow a music therapist for three months literally just shadowing them then they slowly started incorporating us then they allowed us to run our own sessions wow um and yeah we would just video record them and then do the analysis with this music therapist that was there so then they could kind of help us along um but then there was also work with adults and that was, you know, even more difficult. I found especially, you know, the dynamic of going in as a super young therapist and then being like, oh, like, you know, and that age yes. dynamic yes. kind of coming was into that play. Weird? Was that a bit? Yeah, especially as now that I'm qualified, I feel like it's OK. But, you know, being a trainee, being super young, you know, everyone says that I always look younger than I even am as well. So it was kind of like yes. a very like. Ch kind of challenging dynamic and, at first yeah but but it didn't phase I mean you were still able to do it and yeah this is what you really wanted to do exactly and do, do you do you work with children now or do you work with adults as well um my client group is so varied like I do do a lot of work with children but I would say that my group of like um adolescents and adults is like definitely expanding now I have a lot of work now with adults as well that is ranged from, you know, acquired brain injuries to neurodivergent adults or perhaps just, you know, anyone that just feels like they want, you know, some kind of personal development and feel like music therapy can really help them with that. So how do you help people? I mean, what... The 
other people apart from that their disabilities or, or yeah. maybe um i don't know you know that they were they're born with some sort of mental mm-hmm. um stumbling block for them not yeah. what what about people with depression people with um psychological exactly. you know everyday yeah, mental health issues exactly. like everybody has yeah that's, how do you help people like that um i think that you know sometimes words are like quite powerful and sometimes it's hard to put something into words that you can't quite place how you feel into words and i feel like that's where the music therapy comes in very uniquely because we can put something into music that maybe we can't quite express and then there's also the neurological and the neuroscience side of music therapy which is something i'm really interested in which is to do with like brain coupling and how music therapy helps trigger different parts and cortexes of the brain to fire the same as mine so if um you have depression or there's something kind of any mental anxiety health, exactly or, yeah. any sort you know schizophrenia anything literally literally on the spectrum of mental health um the use of like music therapy brain science neuroscience and these neurons um is actually amazing the way that it just changes the way you fire and then that just like because it's really all chemical, chemicals in your brain exactly so this really helps kind of almost show your brain a different way of firing neurons and then kind of adapting and it also adds a lot of like brain uh, plasticity as well so our brain becomes kind of more molded to different situations and that helps you know overcoming any trauma and overcoming it's, it's fascinating <laughs> yeah absolutely fascinating yeah um what is the biggest challenge for you do you think when you're out there in the field you know helping people and Um that's a tough question. I think to be fair it's like kind of balancing Carenza in Gibraltar and therapist Carenza. <laughs> to be honest, I feel like that's my biggest challenge because you know you do these amazing courses but everything's based in the UK where it's very big and you know you don't have like this kind of like oh i kind of know them i don't know them you know and this kind of relationship What, pe- that we've people, got in people. jib yeah exactly in jib everybody knows everybody exactly. so is that a, is that an issue um it's something that i've always got to bear in mind you know and always got to be very like kind of put my therapist cap on completely and then take it off as soon as mm. we're done with the session just because if not you know the boundaries kind of can blur a lot more and you've got to keep yourself you know constantly on that like therapist or just Carenza kind of line. Did you always know you were going to come back to Jib? Um I just really felt like I almost like I needed to come back to Jib because I was like oh this is like such a great therapy there's no one here doing it that's qualified and I was like can't I want to just you know like be the person that really like pioneers music therapy in Gibraltar so I was kind of like I need This to come back do. yeah plus the weather had annoyed yeah. you better <laughs> I needed some yes. sunshine too <laughs> you do after three or four years yeah more than done because I know when you go you're like desperate to get out I'm never coming back I mm. hate Gibraltar everybody goes with exactly yeah. I remember me I was that but then yeah you it kind of Gib is a place that kind of draws you and now yeah. there's so many things going on in Gibraltar yeah it's not like when I went that there was yeah. you know the frontier had just opened there was literally nothing going on here yeah <clears throat> so um it's 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 a much bigger and better yeah. environment now and, exactly. and and people needed before maybe um it wasn't so um prevalent or people didn't yeah. hear about it now people are open with their feelings with their with their needs and and obviously you've got so 
lots of clients. Do you yeah. tell me? So you'd come back to Jib, you fit, yeah. you qualify, you decide you're going to stay in Jib, yeah. and then you decide what that you're going to open a business. What happened next? Um, well, then COVID happened. Just yes. when I finished my yes. masters, yes, it's like true. literally writing my dissertation. And, you know, I was at uni and the lecturer almost joked like, oh, I might not see you guys again. But, you know, it was still so like up in the air, you know, it was kind of March time. So it still wasn't kind of Mm. sure what was going to happen. And then I went home for the Easter break and I never went back to uni and I finished my master's. Here. Never graduated. (laughs) Never graduated? Really? Just sent my certificate over. Did you graduate for Um, the other degree, the first degree? Yeah. Okay. So at least, least you know, I got a graduation in. But yeah, it was bizarre. So... Once I finished my dissertation, and obviously I had lots of time to think because we were in lockdown, I was just like, hi, oh, I just need to like start this on my own. And like, I feel like, you know, I know, you know, what music therapy is, what music therapy can provide. And I just felt like doing it on my own, like I can really like shape and mold music therapy so in how, Gibraltar. How do you start? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, you know, apart from like the 101 different licenses and insurances, you need to do therapy once that's all done. Um, it was literally just social media being a big one, you know, start that up, try get the word across, trying you to just... You called it senti. Yes, senti, because that's um, an Italian word to like listen, feel what someone's saying. So it doesn't just mean to like listen, it means to also feel. feel. Well, so sentir, felt, sentir exactly, in Spanish. Exactly. So it all derives from very similar words. So I really felt like mm. that kind of brought it and it was just kind of something that is easy. You know, if someone's Spanish speaking, they could they pronounce it. it, you know, and it was just kind mm. of a versatile name to call the business, really. So you open your business, you yeah. call it Senti. And, yeah. and then what? Um, How do you start getting... People to know about music therapy, first of all. Yeah, um, literally just grabbing anyone that I felt would listen for a couple of minutes at first. You know, it was kind of like, and lots of emails out to, you know, the care agency, lots of different societies, just really trying to be push mm. music therapy. Um, it's definitely not been easy, that's for sure. I'm more in the middle of a pandemic, you know. Mm. I think um, therapy is one of those things that, although it's, obviously more than able to do it online and it's re- really, really not needed, the and same really needed yeah exactly mm. it's really not the same as an in-person interaction um so it was quite hard at first to really get the ball rolling to be honest but it was just actually pushing on anyone that had a couple of minutes to listen to me like you know kind of edging my way in um, then I was very fortunate um, to be able to get a website going with Kenshaw. So then obviously, you That's know. That's right, Kenshaw Marketing. Yeah. They're, ama- they're amazing. Yeah, I, I, they were. Honestly, I saw that they did for you. Yeah. And I was in awe of their work. They're so cool. Yeah. So and that, that has that really, really pushed. Project, has yeah. that really pushed? Yeah. Your... The website definitely like really gave the business like a big push. The whole new look as well of like, you know, sending the, the branding. Exactly. Yeah. Just like really gave that extra push to the website specifically because I got a lot of clients that would then look up therapy and then they kind of were directed to the website. Music therapy is my passion. As you've heard on this podcast, I'm a qualified music therapist based in Gibraltar and my business is called Senti. Music therapy is there to support the emotional, cognitive and physical well-being of others. Music therapy is a holistic approach to improving your life and available to everyone in Gibraltar. You can check out our website, sentitherapy.com, 
drop us an email at info at sentitherapy.com or give us a call on 5400-8374. So you've got clients, um, like individual clients? Yeah. And you do you work for different um, agencies as well? So I'm like kind of got a subcontract kind of thing with the care agency. So I do a little bit of work with them, but mainly it's private. Um, I run one-to-one sessions, which is kind of the most popular. Um, but I also run a couple of groups sessions as well. With children or adults? Um, both. Mm. Yeah both um the main kind of bigger group is children with disabilities um but i also run a group with adults so yeah it's kind of varied work really and how do you gauge if a child who has quite a severe disability mm-hmm. um is really benefiting from what you're doing how, how how can you they can't speak or they can't communicate how do yeah, you see it um i think at first you know if for example they're pre-verbal it's really like kind of just building and I think the most important thing that like my always takeaway message is like trust in the process because it's not something, you know, like I really wish I had this magic musical wand to like wave over, but it's literally just one of those things that's like a process and you've got to really trust in it. And it's mm. in kind of in our training, we're seen to look at the like, tiniest, tiniest details you know, and tiny improvements. And it's like all those little tiny steps that, you know, someone that's maybe not so trained won't really see that really in the end you look back and reflect and you're like, wow. They've really made... That's where... <clears throat> and Very rewarding for yeah, you. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Extremely rewarding. Extremely rewarding. Yeah, yeah. helping a lot of people. Um, are you helping a lot of people? Yeah. <laughs> what is, how yeah. do you do it? Can, can we ask yeah. you? Is it, is it a secret? Um, I think it's so based on like the person because basically there's different approaches to therapy and my approach is person-centered approach which and then psychodynamically informed so basically what that means is that the person comes into therapy they might feel like you know they're coming in with a specific goal like an objective or something but basically from that um I kind of put the person at the center of the therapy rather than like the problem right. which a lot of therapists kind of go for the problem and then so what do you do you, you so, speak to them you find out a bit about them exactly and then and it's then... kind of like a more holistic approach right apart from addressing something that we might want to be working on it's also being like how they feel in the moment how they feel on the day and kind of really working with them in a whole way to like kind of make you know give them every single skill set you know that can kind of help them on their like journey of like life really um so it's that and then psychodynamically informed means that you kind of analyze that lots of different things derived from like childhood patterns um and the theories behind that so you always kind of just keep that in mind it's not something that will kind of influence your work too much but when I do my because I have to psychoanalyze like and do notes after every session so it's just something that I like bear in mind um but so he's putting the person rather than a problem at the forefront and um what do you use like different instruments yeah so what, what do you what do you play super varied well i play the violin piano guitar drum sing wow. like a bit do of you? everything yeah wow. so you're um, trained to, to play the violin yeah yeah do, the violin's my main study do you play in a band or um, a- when i was younger i used to play in an orchestra in spain and like we went to vienna italy like loads of different things wow i didn't yeah. know any yeah. of this about you <laughs> yeah i don't tend to tell many people about it um but yeah so so 
that's kind of like so you're musical really? yeah yeah I've always been you know like extremely extremely musical like you know at first my aim was to go to like the Moscow Conservatoire like very kind of violin classical orchestra you know that kind that's of what field. you like yeah um but then I felt like you know I would be missing out a lot part a big part of me, which is like people talking, helping. So that's why I didn't kind of end up going, going down that, that field. Mm. Um, but you're still incorporating it into yeah, your work. Exactly, exactly. Um, so in terms of with the music therapy, we use a lot of instruments, but some people maybe we might use recorded music as like a springboard into music with them because some people might feel a bit more comfortable starting off with recorded music rather than like actual instruments. Improvisation plays a big part um, in the music therapy, but then with some clients, especially like adolescent kind of clients, um, making our own songs is a really big part of the therapy so that I'd use oh, like fun. my laptop and would use different loops and like would use instruments, lyrics, you know, Bit and of kind of using that to express. So any use of music that I feel will kind of help mm. kind of aid the therapy as such, because mm. it's really using the music as a medium within the therapy. Wow, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really like kind of something so else. if somebody yeah. wanted to, an appointment with you, how do they get in touch with you? Apart from looking at Senti uh, yeah, online. Yeah, from the website usually most people kind of just grab my number from there they send me a whatsapp and I kind of book in I like to book in first a little like kind of coffee consultation just a little chat so then I can kind of like assess uh what kind of whether I need to bring certain instruments or not or you know just so See, I can kind so of assess exactly yeah. um and then kind of book in a session and then yeah, we get going go. yeah so another thing I wanted to talk to you yeah. about, um, Carenza, is that you're very young, you're 25, yeah. and you've had a double mastectomy. Yeah. Oof, it makes me emotional Oof. just to say it. So I can't even imagine what on earth happened to you. Yeah. Um, so I, I want you to say it, because I think there's a lot of people out there who have this Bracken gene. Yeah. Like you did. Yeah. I know about three people, actually, but yeah. they're much older than yeah. you. You're only 25, you haven't had children. Yeah. <laughs> You were incredibly brave. Yeah. Um, t tell me about it and tell um, us about it so yeah. other people can, can, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, whenever like it gets mentioned, you know, obviously I think everyone in my family kind of just obviously thinks of my aunt, you know, and obviously like. Why she passed away? Yeah. Um, and like, and how, was obviously, she young? yeah. And really what like, you know, for us, it was almost like a savior, our little angel, because without her, we wouldn't, none of us would know about this gene and we wouldn't have been able to do anything preventive about so it. So just explain a little bit what, what it is, the gene. Um, so, so basically, basically your aunt died of breast cancer. Yeah. And um, basically with that, um, she had kind of got tested for this gene. So there's different types of strands of genes. So there's BRCA1, BRCA2, PALB2, um, and some other ones. Um, my dad, my aunt, etc., they have the BRCA1, but... Mine is PAL-B2, so it's kind of mutated Double. from their mutation. So, so, yeah. Um, so mine, basically, PAL-B2 is mainly just breast cancer. So and it's what not percentage, so if you hadn't had the double mastectomy? Um, it's about like 80 to 85%. That you would, that you would get yeah, breast that cancer. I would, yeah. Incredible. So once I saw those statistics, you know, and I'm a science kind of girl, so <laughs> I had no problem in being like, oh, that statistic is just, you know, insane. And then mm -hmm. you just kind of think of you know, what that really means. And when you've had family members that have been ill, you know, you're just like, oh, that risk, you know, 
yeah. to be fair, is just it's too much of a risk. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't even like, you know, obviously you have to go through a lot of evaluation of, you know, what you want and what you're do willing they, to do risk. Do they do that here? Um, basically the blood test is done here, but everything is with the Royal Marsden in London. Oh, okay. Um, so all the professionals so all you the, speak all these, to, all these surgeons, surveys, all, yeah. That's all, uh, you have to all go of the away Royal Marsden, that. yeah, exactly. Oof, wow. So apart from a lot of going backwards and forwards, you know, to see the consultant, to see, you know, what kind of things are available, um, you have the option of regular scanning or to get a preventive double mastectomy. And to be honest, it was just kind of like, oh, I don't care that I've kind of not had kids because obviously that's kind of the big... Well, the breastfeeding and exactly. all that. But I mean, but, loads, you of know, guys, you know, loads of people don't breastfeed, so it doesn't really matter. That's why I was just kind of like, you know, I'd rather be here oh, and well, my gosh. you know, than anything else. And, you know, when you just see a statistic like that hmm. and you're kind of shown this graph hmm. <laughs> of like, oh, this is a normal person's kind of the person on the streets risk and here's yours and you just see that exponential growth you're just kind of like it's a no-brainer a no-brainer so you had it done this year yeah so I had it done in May um it was definitely (laughs) a big big you know very emotional for you um yeah I think I was quite fortunate that you know being a therapist (laughs) I kind of you know yeah kind of did help myself a lot and you know I kind of was with the mentality of like this is, you know, I'm not ill. I'm kind of doing this very preventive. And I met some really, really like, you know, really strong women when I was there in the Royal Marsden because I only stayed one night after the operation. And I met, you know, some really, really strong and really, you know, almost inspirational women there as well, apart from, you know, like family. And, you know, it was just kind of like, oh, I'm so glad that I made this decision to go through. And obviously it was really hard, you know, at first. <laughs> um, big shout out to Jeremy for being my absolute <laughs> carer because you, when they say you can't do anything, you're like, oh, okay, you're like, I'll lay in bed, that's fine. But it is literally, can't anything, no? you can't mm. do anything. Like mm. you can't open a door, like you can't get out of bed by yourself, you know, because they've obviously cut, you know, everything, everything out. Everything. They've cut your abs, you know, it's like everything. So you kind of like downplay, I think at first, you know, like, ah, oh, I can't do anything. So where did but, you recover? Did you have to rent a place? And, um, we stayed in Galpe House. Oh, yeah. I'm so interviewing Deborah next week. Yeah, they literally are, Galpe, Where would we be without Galpe House? I know, like, I know so many people who've... Like, found so much solace there. Yeah, so much. And like the people that work in <clears throat> Galpe House are brilliant, like brilliant. Like we needed, like I needed to sit up to sleep and they even ordered like extra pillows, like these kind of slanted ones to make sure that I was more comfortable, you know, like everything. They were just brilliant. And we stayed there for like, we had to stay there for a month because I couldn't fly after the operation for a while. Um, so we were there for quite some time in Galpe House. Um, but everyone there was just like... So kind. Yeah, literally when they say a home away from home, like it, it, it literally is like that. And they try and make everything, you know, like mm. as best as possible, comfortable and... Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, you you came back. I remember when you came back. Yeah. You, you couldn't row for yeah, a while. Yeah, <laughs> that was the most... I was kind of like itching. I'd yeah. be like, hard, oh, take so, out the girls, I'll cox. <laughs> you're, also, you're also a rowing coach. Yeah. And, and actually you are a mentor because from what my daughter says, yeah. <laughs> she absolutely adores you and you get on so well. And I think you've been a real mentor to her and to other girls who yeah. row because... 
Um, yeah, it's quite a tough sport. Yeah. You do have to give up quite a lot. Yeah. Um, you have yeah. to get up very early, many, many days, <laughs> especially at the weekends. Yeah. But there you are, you know, like like really building the team spirit. How, how, what is rowing like for you? I think how for it me, help it's, you? it's just like a kind of key part in my life kind of thing. I think apart from just a sport, it's kind of the family ethos that comes, you know, with rowing. Yes. Like we're all going to yes. be there at 8 a.m. Yes. We're all going to go to the Sevillas and like, you yes. know, kind of we're going do this yeah, tons of kilometers. Like we're all going to do this together. And that kind of like feeling, apart from like, obviously that I just love rowing and I'm very competitive and I kind of get my competitiveness out and it's out there and I can kind of focus on that. Um, and burn all that energy that I've kind of got. Um, it's just kind of that whole family thing. And I think, you know, I do like to think, you know, that I do like kind of help the girls and like, I oh, feel absolutely. like they always... As a parent yeah. of a girl, well, I'm a boy, but yeah. my girl really is the one that you've, um, yeah. you know, she's always saying how great it is to listen to you. So. Yeah, yeah. They and call and me your the... rowing skills are quite good, <laughs> yeah. apparently. <laughs> Yeah, like they call you. What so. do they call you? They call me the mother hen. The mother hen. <laughs> yeah, I've got you in my phone as Coach Carenza. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that's what Beanie, yeah. Beanie calls you, Coach Carenza. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I think definitely that played a big role, and that really was kind of like you know the girls, especially at Galba, kind of what made me go for like the Gara president as I well. No, you're Gara president. Yeah, as well. Um, and you're very young and yeah. a woman. <laughs> yes. Big up women. <laughs> yeah. Women rising. That's why you're here. Exactly. So I kind of had to take that on because I was just kind of like, mm. no, like mm. I have a vision and I'm very set in my ways of like achieving things. And, you know, I kind of go to the ends of the earth to achieve things. And I think rowing something that, you know, it's always been in my life mm. kind of since I was 14, 15 years old. So it was just something, you know, even mm. at uni, I was kind of itching to still be doing. And, and you've got quite a lot of girls at the Galpe now doing yes. rowing because I was there last weekend. <laughs> We've had an ergo in our house since yeah. July, since Mikey had COVID and we brought it here for him. <laughs> we took it back and I and I thought, wow, this is great. There's a new intake, uh, you know, yeah. really, really um, a lot of enthusiasm for yeah. rowing. So that's brilliant. Yeah, and it's you've great. You've got to keep it up, Karen. Exactly. Don't, don't, yeah, keep coaching. Yeah, definitely. Keep going. Yeah. Um, one last question for you. Okay. Uh, who do you look up to? Oh, hmm. I don't know who to say. I think, to be quite honest, I would just say, like, this particular music therapist, she was a lecturer of ours. Um, her name's Dr. Philippa Derrington. And just a research on, like, you know, how helpful she was, you know, and I just felt like she was, like, a big kind of you know, role model and influence. And although that kind of came later on, you know, kind of into my master's kind of thing, I think she's really influenced a lot of like my work and kind of reflection on like people and, you know, kind of life. And, you know, I think a lot of like therapists in that sense are really people that I kind of like Yalom and lots of different therapists that I kind of, you know, look up to because I think they really influenced and changed the way I think about life. Wow, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a real inspiration, emotional and everything, yeah. <laughs> to have you here. Thank you so much for giving up your time. Thank and you. And yes, Senti, everybody, look it up. S-E-N-T-I. <laughs> <laughs>
You've been listening to Women Rising, a series of talks where I've chatted to fabulous and inspirational women exclusively about their lives and their losses, their struggles and their successes, and their contribution to this world where they are empowering others and making a huge difference in our community. Thanks must go to my producer, Charlie Hurst, for putting this podcast together. Catch him at soundunit.co.uk. And a huge thank you also to Beatrice Garcia, who has designed and painted the podcast icon. She's at BeatriceGarcia.com. Should you like to advertise your business on my podcast, please get in touch and please like and rate the show on your favorite listening platform and comment also if you can. And should you want to get in touch with me, my email is rougejib at gmail.com.